interesting episode of the Empowering Indian Expats podcast. Today's guest is a highly accomplished professional and thought leader in information technology space. But my main reason of bringing him onto the show is to really understand how to live a fulfilling life. I remember meeting Dr. Bhuvan Unhelkar about 10 years back. We were jogging in a ground and he said, Asan, if I fall dead today, I will have no regret. In terms of his professional accomplishments, uh, today he is a professor of IT in Florida, USA, and he is also a founder and consultant of two companies. His current industrial research interests include AI and ML in business optimization and big data. His professional journey started in Pune, India as a system analyst at Tata Motors, and today he is a consultant to businesses, teaches in universities, writes for various publications, does research in new technologies, writes books. He's an engaging presenter as well, delivering keynotes and training seminars all over the world. He meditates every day, runs marathons, sings, plays musical instruments, and still finds time for friends. There's a lot that we can learn from Dr. Bhuvan. So Dr. Bhuvan, welcome to the show. Thank you, Asan. That's quite a glowing introduction. Not uh, that I deserve it all. But hey, it does boost my ego. (laughs) (laughs) Dr. Bhuvan, you have lived in all continents. You started in India. You did your engineering and MBA there. You started with Tata Motors as system analyst. Then I think after three, four years of working, you moved to Australia. And you worked for about a decade before you got into another master's and PhD. And you got into research and academics. And I remember you talking about career as not having always upward. I think... The way we have been conditioned is we look at career always in upward and we kind of get into a trap. So I definitely want to get a little bit insight into the career aspect of it and where technology is going. Uh, you have access to uh, research uh, globally. And then, of course, we want to get into the life aspect of it and your influences and how that has made you live the way you live. You're the most productive person I've ever seen. Sure, definitely. So I'm sitting here in Sarasota, Bradenton area, which is near Tampa in Florida. I'm a full professor tenured at University of South Florida, and I teach both cybersecurity and IT courses and management courses. I also do research and try to publish in journals and also share my thoughts through books and executive reports. Prior to coming to America about six years back, I was in Sydney, Australia. And in my three decades of stay in Australia, I checkered between being permanently employed in various sectors, Dow Jones, financial markets, public works department, advanced bank, which doesn't exist anymore. It becomes as, I think it got sold to St. George and now West Pack. That is correct. So I have my engineering and my MBA from India. I have my master's in information systems from University of Technology in Sydney, followed by probably the first ever part-time PhD. I used to work in Dow Jones at that time from 92 to 97 in the discipline of uh, object-oriented modeling. My professor was Brian Henderson Sellers and I'm still very, very thankful, grateful to him as my guruji and my mentor. I honestly think a self-made man is the most ridiculous comment anyone can make in life. Is self-made and no one need to be self-made and when I look at my own career and in fact I am just now finishing the final touches to my 25th book the title is artificial intelligence and business optimization and each book is like a PhD thesis in its own right and I enjoy writing books there is no goal I enjoy sharing my thoughts my experiences And uh, here I am, both as a academic, as a professional, and as a human being. 
That's uh, fantastic, Dr. Bhuvan. So you were working as an IT consultant. You did variety of jobs as a programmer and test analyst and business analyst and project manager and product manager and so on and so forth. What inspired you to get into academics? And was your choice or it just happened uh, on its own? It's a combination of multiple influences. We as professionals feel somewhat less inclined to mention the tremendous uh, gratitude we owe to our parents. We feel that, you know, if I am the CEO of Microsoft or Google or Amazon, it will be ridiculous to mention parents. But every human being right now, at least, is born through parents and brought up through parents. And for good or bad or worse, whatever it might be, the parents try to do something good for their children. So my career, if you like, was shaped from kindergarten. And I may have a string of degrees, but I come from a father whose thirst for education could not be satisfied in 1940, around that time, when he was an 18-year-old lad and with uh, no father around and no support mechanism, he could not study. So he barely passed his 11th standard, SSC. He instilled the joy and the value of education. In my home growing up, finances, money was only an excuse to satisfaction. And that remained with me. But education is a lifelong journey. And that also remained with me. So even though I was working and having a pretty good job in Sydney, Australia, I felt the need to continue to educate myself. The next uh, important influence in my career was Mr. S.D. Pradhan. We call him Shri Prabhat or Prabhat Pradhan. He was my boss's boss's boss in Tata Motors, Telco in 1982. Thankfully, he visited Sydney and graced my home. And I had a very long chat with him about education. And similar to what my father used to tell me, Mr. Pradhan told me, that education is forever with us, independent of whether we become a multimillionaire or don't. And uh, right now I find in my career, education has served a tremendous purpose. First and foremost, education ensures a certain basic quality of life. Secondly, education changes the way we look at challenges in life. For example, for last year and a half, I am stuck here in Florida while my family is still back in Sydney. And I somehow feel that education has helped me understand that life is not linear and therefore we should prepare as much as we can for the uncertainty of life. And I also find that education allows me to understand different cultures, different thought processes, different religious approaches to life, different scientific methodologies, different political viewpoints. Definitely, uh, Dr. Bhuvan, it makes a lot of sense. And I find that academia, if you enjoy research and teaching even a little bit, is a far more fulfilling, less competitive, and a very creative profession. That doesn't mean you cannot do all these three in the industry. And companies like Google and Microsoft, they are, and many other companies, are encouraging, promoting, facilitating industrial research, 
And if you get a chance to do that, then you should do it. And I apologize because my Google has suddenly started because it heard me say its name. No problem. (laughs) (laughs) And I just would like to keep it as it is, you know. I'm sure the audience appreciates the fact that we live in a world where I can say Alexa because I have removed unplugged Alexa. I thought (laughs) she would take off as well. So that's my background of why I enjoy academic work. I honestly think we take competition right from kindergarten through to graduate programs in a very neurotic way. And you mentioned more than once the chat I had with you. If I have to drop dead, I would have no regrets. That should be the way with everyone, in my opinion. That is one way of expressing living in the present. And anyone and everyone who has had a taste of meditation, which again you mentioned, would say that yes, living in the present is the most ecstatic thing one can do, where we don't worry about the future Almost, I find the whole education system of which I am a part is driving so much of competition that we have lost the ability to simply sit and do nothing. We feel that every minute, every hour has to be used in productive, so-called productive activity which is guaranteed neurosis. We need programs in schools, in colleges, in universities, in professional lives, in our families, where we dedicate some time to literally doing non-productive, unproductive, what would be traditionally called useless activities and that's if you wish my definition of meditation as well and that has helped me immensely every day in my life there is a time that I find to sit and do nothing I can understand that and I remember talking about it how do you live a goal-free life where everybody is so psyched up about a goal so I can now understand where it is coming from the one thing I see in you Bhuvan you're always so calm it doesn't look like uh, you ever had stress and pressure I would like to get a little bit of your perspective on building career in technology especially in IT because you have uh, worked in IT in India in Australia and you have uh, been in research in not only in Australia and US you've been teaching all over the world let's start with the Keyword, data science. Any student of IT and even management has to understand what is data science. And data science is a big word. It's a whole ecosystem which includes machine learning. And within machine learning, we can talk about various programming languages, primarily Python. But then the other branch of this whole data science uh, uh, domain is understanding the building of models, which are the various statistical models, which uh, talk about classification and categorization and, and then the whole manipulation of data, cleansing of data, analyzing of data. So... The future of IT, first and foremost, is in how we manipulate data. And practically all future businesses, including all devices, and you know that in America, Tesla is now becoming a quite a popular name. And I was just watching an advert this evening of a small car, driverless car, now starting to deliver pizzas. So 
what I'm really looking in the future is data science, everything associated with big data that can be analyzed using technologies, machine learning algorithms to identify data, to, to analyze data, to create insights that can be used by decision makers. So this is going to go and flow into supply chains because as we know, Amazon, the, the supply chain company or XPO logistic company is entirely built on analyzing data. If I buy something and if you and I are friends or if you have purchased the same thing, you will get a recommendation for some weird thing I may have purchased, you know, uh, long tail marketing fine granular analytics. So that's one keyword. So artificial intelligence comes into play, but artificial intelligence also moves us into robotics, into autonomous driving. And then we are now already in the 5G era. So yeah. from a research viewpoint, really it is 6G. And I would say autonomous uh, drones might be drones are becoming commonplace right here in America. You can all, you can buy and gift a drone to your son and uh, daughter and they can fly, you know. So that's one whole domain, whole discipline. The other very important discipline, and by the way, this data science influences various verticals, banking, insurance, financial markets, health and medicine and travel and tourism and various government agencies. So data science is not a specialized term. It is a generic term that's going to apply across the board. The other important keyword that I would like to share with you and your audience is cybersecurity. And it is also influencing, affecting every aspect of business every aspect of governance, every aspect of defense. But starting right from the habit and the discipline of creating a password, changing a password, identifying a scammer, identifying a phishing email, through to analyzing user logs to predict where vulnerabilities exist, through to strategizing for a handheld device, uh, a, a cell phone that you and I are using to be used both for personal work and official work. I mean, in the world of COVID-19, which has to be mentioned in every discussion like this, <laughs> yes. we have completely revamped our mindset. So things that were not acceptable, like online conferences, online teaching, I'm teaching online my students and they are perfectly satisfied and we have achieved the learning objectives that maybe five years back was not as acceptable as it is today. So cyber security is also a vast field which includes strategies for teaching students what we say, you know, ethical hacking. So we learn to hack in order to prevent hacking. And that is now exploding, which includes information assurance, which includes a very increasingly specialized discipline called cybersecurity management as against simply cybersecurity strategies. It management includes the overall function. So we have got CEOs and CIOs and CFOs, but we are now already seeing CSOs, CSOs yeah. security officers. Yeah. And that is something that will be, is already in high demand, but will continue to be in high demand because of the rate at which technology is changing. So networks, IoT devices, now data collection is more or less happening through devices. And even simple forms that you and I fill out have got so much of autofilling that it's, it's not funny. So you look at weather prediction, farming, supply chain associated with agriculture, 
or hospitals and uh, health and, and so on, you will find a phenomenal amount of data is getting generated automatically. And that is a big challenge for cybersecurity. That's wonderful. Uh, you know, the way you explain the whole data science and cybersecurity. Now, there are two thoughts going on, Dr. Bowen. One is shaping up career for people who are uh, studying or they're early in their career. And the second type of people are who are, say, about 10 years in IT industry. And uh, they are performing roles of, say, test analyst or business analyst or project manager and so on and so forth. So both these two kind of people have different challenges. The first type who are in education or early stage of career confused about what do I really focus on so I be relevant in the market and I have the right kind of career. The second type has a different problem. I'm already busy doing what I'm doing and I'm afraid I will not be relevant for long and somebody who's just starting out will come and take over my job. So you being in all over the world and academia and seeing people at different stages in life, do you have any thought and recommendation for first people who are starting out early in their career and second who are somewhat already accomplished in their career? How they can transition into uh, doing things that can keep them relevant? Mm. So I am dealing with both categories of people. I have taught large group of students in India and Australia and China. I have gone to China to Nanjing University of TCM multiple times. And Sri Lanka and Malaysia. And Sri Lanka and Malaysia and Norway. I have gone to University of Southeastern Norway and taught there. So we are doing some research. And I somehow find it bit worrying or bit surprising that the best of the students are still 90% of the students are looking for a job and the criteria of someone being successful or not seems to be whether they have got a job and I don't know I cannot change the world but if I have an opportunity I would myself not consider my success or failure based on whether I get a job after I graduate. And I would encourage all students to not hit that panic button. Industry needs good students. Industry needs good workers. And if there has to be growth, then it is based on people. And still I find that I'm counseling and advising students when they are coming close to graduation because somehow it gets into their head that they have spent this money and they must get a job and if they don't, then they are a failure. And my experience in Australia, my experience in US and in Canada, direct experience is that most students I would say almost all students find a pretty good opportunity to practice their skills in six months to a year after their graduation. They do need to overcome the language barrier, the culture barrier. They need to learn to have a credible LinkedIn presence and not simply rely on written resumes in Word or PDF. They need to learn to attend networking events. And they don't, especially my student friends coming from India, they cannot understand why they should become a student member of the Australian Computer Society. And I cannot understand why they don't want to become they don't want to become because they don't see a direct correlation. Right. This is the same problem with people with 10 years, 15 years of experience. You mentioned about one article I had written for the Australian Computer Society's uh, journal, which was actually based on a talk I had given in around uh, 99, 2000, when there were 400 plus people 
in the audience invited by the Australian Computer Society. And a few of us were sharing our thoughts. And my talk was titled, Vertical is not the only direction. So the right. next promotion and the next job and the next increment in salary are very poor indicator of who you are. Right. But my friends from, especially from the subcontinent, cannot correlate a visit to the monthly seminar of the Australian Computer Society. What has that got to do with my career? The question they ask. And I'm sorry, it has everything to do with your career. Sometimes directly and sometimes indirectly, perhaps many a times indirectly. You meet new people, you learn new value systems, you understand what is happening in the technology, in the business, in the economy, and you find people are there to help. Mm-hmm. I've got so many friends who have pointed me out to a job here or a consulting work over there, and so have I. I never hesitate. So my advice to this two different groups of people that you have highlighted is vertical is not the only direction. There is so much of horizontal growth possible and is happening. And a beautiful country like Australia where for practically all migrants coming from the subcontinent, your bread and butter and a roof over your head is more or less assured, unlike back home where if you don't educate and you don't have a job, you basically don't have a life. That is not true in Australia. So we need to start a different kind of calculator in our brain. And if you want my advice and if you want to see what I have done, get rid of the calculator. <laughs> Let the things happen. There is so much that is happening around us and with us. It's unbelievable. It's not all us doing it's less than half is what we do. More than half is happening. Definitely. It's very difficult to accept that because it, it hurts our ego. It hurts our belief system that I'm going to work hard and I'm going to make my own life. Nobody prevents you from working hard. But let's remain humble. It is It ain't going like that. No, definitely, Dr. Bhuvan. And it was very valuable insight from someone uh, who has seen it, been there, uh, done that. Networking is definitely key, which most of uh, subcontinent people like us avoid because we do not see a direct uh, benefit of uh, networking with others. So I know you are a founding member in uh, Australian Computer Society. When you were here, you were also a member of uh, Australian Institute of Business Analysis. You are also a member of Rotary Club for over 25 years, I guess. Do you want to highlight the aspect of that and the benefit that you have derived and would you recommend others to be part of Rotary or any other community that could help us build a better career and better life? Definitely. See, giving is a very important part of our lives. And again, coming from India where life is very competitive, it is challenging. It is difficult. I come from a middle-class background. My late father was a railway station master. And I even today am fascinated by steam engines because that's what my life was as a kid. And to give out of what we had was not always easy. But the culture of giving a small part of what we have was already instilled. And I think it is a lot more than just doing uh, social service. I think it does something to us. I think it is a selfish act. So I have been fortunate for close to two decades now, not 25 years, but it will be. I plan to remain a Rotarian for the rest of my life. So Rotary International was uh, formed in 1905-1906 by Paul Harris and his friends in Chicago. 
but it just went all around the world. And its motto is very simple. It's a Gandhian motto, service above self. And Rotary is doing phenomenal work in India and in close to 200 countries, including in US, including in Australia. Rotary has various areas of focus, you know, maternal and child health, water purification, education and literacy, basic health. These are so wonderful focus areas. And recently, we have added a seventh area of focus, which is the environment. And I would encourage all youngsters, you talked about young students who are graduating, be a part of a organization that gives back to the society. Don't think why you should be. And if my children are listening, I would encourage them to do the same. I believe they do a little bit of it, but hopefully they will see what I'm saying. They will see what I'm doing. It is tremendously satisfying. A very simple example of how it correlates indirectly is when I moved from Sydney to Sarasota near Tampa, I googled two words, Rotary and Sarasota. I discovered there are seven Rotary clubs here. By the way, there are 33,000 Rotary clubs around the world, including in Sydney, many of them, and 1.2 million Rotarians. And I was invited in St. Ives Rotary Club. I still have close friends there. But when I moved here, I emailed the five clubs, three replied, and I am now friends with all three clubs. And from the moment I landed, I was amongst friends, professionals, dentists and ophthalmologists and lawyers and business people. And there are people, my very dear friend, District Governor-elect Andy Lyman over here, he has offered internship to my students and then offered jobs to my students. Wow. And my university colleagues were left wondering, that I landed from Sydney and I'm placing students. Universities don't place students. We produce good quality students. But if it happens, it's a joy. And it happened through Rotary. So that's one example. I'm not saying everybody has to become a Rotarian, although there are younger versions of Rotary called Rotaract and Interact and so on. There are so many other ways people can contribute. Being a part of the Australian Computer Society and doing some work there is in itself a very good mechanism to contribute. I do some work for IEEE Society here in America. And it's a beautiful way of giving back to the community and enhancing your horizontal growth. Definitely. So the contribution into different society or being part of uh, communities has to be a strategy for self-growth and professional growth rather than looking at it as a burden, like, do I really need to do? I think this is a key part of a strategy today. Absolutely. And in fact, through Rotary, one can learn. For me, it's Rotary. It can be something else for you. That even the work you are doing, you don't have to do it. It's a, It can be relaxed and it can be a happening too. <laughs> even your business, even your job can be a service. You know, can be an enjoyable experience. Definitely. So I think I've got a lot in terms of uh, career because a lot of people, as you know, because of COVID as well, and there's so much of angst in the environment and people are struggling to find job. One, because yes, it's a tough time. Second, because of the mindset. I've invested so much of money, I must get a job. Rather than focusing on what value I can create in the environment, connecting uh, with people who are in the industry, networking, networking, a lot of networking rather than just hunting for a job. Because when I'm hunting for a job, I'm not really thinking about creating value. I'm not really developing myself. To add the word certifications, I should not miss out on it. Sure. There are numerous certifications in all disciplines, whether it is security, whether it is networking, whether it is even programming, designing, architecture, processes, you know, Six Sigma and Lean and Agile and Scrum and 
and so on. Definitely. Now let's come on to a little bit of the life aspect. You have lived life is beyond your career. Bhuvan, though you have written like 24 books, you are writing a 25th book. Extremely productive. Uh, I think I want to get into that uh, side of how do you make it happen? And every time I ask you, you said, oh, well, I don't really have a goal. But at the same time, you achieve more than everybody I know of who have lots of goals or, you know, really driven alpha type corporate people. You are much more productive than all of them. So your influences, your philosophy of life and how do you really, you know, design your day, your week, your month, your year? Do you follow any structure or you have followed a structure that has created habits and everything is automatic. Give us a little bit of insight that we can you know, learn from and utilize. Well, you mentioned that you find that I am very productive. You mentioned that you may not have seen me setting various goals and, and you may have indicated that it is surprising that if we don't have goals, how can we achieve so much? Yeah. But that is the fundamental thing I want to clarify. See, my childhood and upbringing is, you know, sit down, put your head down and work hard. Because for my parental age group, survival was a question. We lived in a slave country. But when we have grown up in a free country, so our mindset has to be different. A mindset that was based on survival is always going to compete. And a mindset that is based on competition will always worry about survival. And both are super neurotic behavior. And I have to say it as I see it, that most corporate success stories are failure stories, but they don't come out as failure because the criteria with which we are painting the stories is so screwed and so skewed that we don't get to see the real person. Yeah. And if we look at the Criteria for success, is the CEO of a company really the most successful person or is, you know, the dean of a college most successful person? I actually find the tenure system in America the most rewarding because it simply takes away competition. As a full professor with tenure, there are two things that cannot happen to me. One, I cannot be promoted anymore. Yes, I can become a dean, which is the administrative position. But as an academic, that's it. I'm a full professor. Nor could I lose my job because I have a tenure. And the system here uh, encourages and protects tenure to enable academics to voice their viewpoints without the threat of losing their job. But this combination of a certain amount of security in the job and no need to compete actually helps me flourish more. Now, that may not be available to everyone at all the time, but one can create a semblance of no competition or low competition, more collaboration, reduced comparison. And if we have the basic income and there are 90% of people I know already have more than the basic income and out of the 10% they have some income and then there are very few who are really struggling with a job and yet 90% of the people I know are having a bout of neurosis. <laughs> I wonder why. I wonder why. So if I have achieved something that is only how it is appearing to you. I am letting it happen. I'm working on three more books right now. I am enjoying running a full marathon. I ran a full marathon in the 61st year of my life, along with my very dear friend, another professor, Anurag Agarwal, Dr. Anurag Agarwal. 
Yeah. So we have explored and are continuing to explore various dimensions of life. I have just now, today, enrolled in a Sanskrit language course. And I'm a batchmate with six-year-old kids who are also learning Sanskrit with me. But I'm saying, why not? But we, as humans, always are educated to live our life through our mind. And when someone mentions, even briefly, that there is a life that we can live outside our mind, it creates confusion or it creates skepticism and sometimes it also creates anger. And I have experienced that. But if we are bold enough to overcome any of these feelings, we suddenly see that, hey, there is a life, in fact, there is a much richer and much wider life if we can suspend mind. And that's my key to doing all these things that you are talking about. I am very grateful to you that you are observing all these things. But when you are asking for a strategy, I have to be honest and say that it's not a strategy designed by the mind. And if you can suspend the mind, let it happen. There can be so much more that I might still do. Most of us, the way we think step one, step two, step three. So I've been living a life conditioned by the society and looking for the next thing and stressed about not achieving as much as the next guy and so on and so forth. To live a fulfilled and satisfied life, we actually need to loosen the grip of our mind. So it's funny, I talk with many people, perceptive people, yourself, maybe many of your audience, but I talk with many young people who say, okay, so you want us to try and suspend our minds. I say, yes. And they say, okay, give us the steps. One, two. <laughs> That's exactly what I asked. <laughs> it's actually a contradiction of terms if you observe it carefully. So, you know, we coming from the subcontinent should be actually well-versed in the concept, which is not a concept, that Aryabhatta, the great mathematician discovery, it was not a mathematical discovery in my opinion. It was a life discovery. And that is Shunya, zero. The beauty of Shunya is if you look at a circle, you cannot point out which exactly is the starting point of the circle. A honestly drawn circle will not have a starting point, will not have an end point, exactly the way our life is. We think we have a starting point and an end point and certain milestones and that's all mental. And again, mind is not a separate entity, it is a subset of us. But we are so much more than the mind. But if I want to experience Shunya, which is our birthright, we should all experience it. What do we need to do? We actually <laughs> need to do nothing. And that's very scary. And no one wants to talk about it. And certainly the corporate world doesn't want to talk about it. But the corporate world is producing the largest amount of neurotics. If you go to California, and I have got close friends there, and I love California, but when I look at people get up in the morning and run to work, I feel that that's not entirely right. I'm quite fascinated, especially as you live a very peaceful and joyous life, and in corporate world, you rightly mentioned we are living kind of very neurotic way. So how about you sharing your influences, where your influences came from? Because you also started just like every one of us, but you have a transition into a way of living where not only you're productive, doing things you love, 
contributing, creating, and still living a fulfilling life. So, and you also mentioned that none of us are self-made. So you are also standing on the shoulders of many giants. I have to name some people. It starts with my father, who himself has no degrees, but he owns all my qualifications. Then I remember Mr. S.D. Pradhan, who is still in Pune and doing very creative work. And he's my mentor and my friend. In Sydney, I've got many, many friends, Australian Australians and Indian Australians who are a network of support for me, encouragement for me. Professor Brian Henderson Sellers comes to the top as uh, my academic advisor, but then there are also many people in the industry. You yourself are a very good example of my network because if we were not connected, I would not have had this Wonderful opportunity of sharing my thoughts with you. I also think family plays a very important role. And my wife has been amazingly supportive, very patient, and knowing what I have been up to. My children also understand I haven't made great sacrifices. I've been around, although once in a while my family thinks, oh, I've been traveling and uh, I've been away at conferences and so on, but that's not true. Nor have my academic activities or book writing interfered with my family life. I was around when my kids were growing up and it was very enjoyable. I would not miss a day if I could. Now they are grown up. So they played an important role. And then wide network of friends, you know, about... Rotary, I gave you as an example, IEEE, I am a life member of Computer Society of India, Australian Computer Society, and so on. These have been all very, very positive influences in professional life, in my personal life, in social life, in learning to live without competition. And that doesn't mean you sit and do nothing. Doing nothing is such a beautiful concept and is so misread. For example, doing nothingness is immediately equated to laziness and nothing can be further from the truth. Doing nothing is actually a super active uh, life. It's exactly opposite of being lazy. But because there are no goals, you don't feel the effort. And if you are effortless, then you can do more and more. Any book that you would uh, recommend that have influenced your life big way? Certainly. There are three or four that I would be delighted to share. So a very thin readable book called Games People Play by Eric Byrne has had tremendous influence on me. And, uh, living a game-free life and game is used in a negative way by Dr. Bird. A indirect, ulterior way of living is what he has described as game. So games people play and they keep playing and that leads to waste of life, not enjoying life. So that has had a tremendous influence on me. There is a very well-written excerpts from J. Krishnamurti called Freedom from the Known. It just blew my mind away. So the mind is functioning all the time, 24 hours without any rest. And his book and his talks have greatly influenced me. There is a also a book that perhaps corporate people may or may not enjoy, but uh, A Search in Secret India by Paul Brenton is something else that influenced me heavily. And also another one, India, My Love. This is by the master Osho, or Osho used to be called Rajneesh once upon a time. Yeah. And uh, he 
had a tremendous love for India and he had said that this book should be published after he departs from his body and I believe it was Kushwan Singh who had launched the book and I was mesmerized by it. Illusions, let me add Illusions by Richard Bach or Batch who also wrote Jonathan Livingston Seagull but Illusions I found more powerful. Incredible Dr. Bhavan, thank you or message, your experience, your advice, your thoughts have been extremely valuable and I've always cherished your friendship and mentorship. If somebody wants to be connected with you, what's the best way? I am uh, the only Bhuvan Unhelkar on LinkedIn. They will have my contact details. Bhuvan.unhelkar at gmail.com. You're welcome to drop me an email. And of course, you yourself can direct people, friends who are listening to come to me and exchange ideas and insights. It's not a one-way traffic. Fantastic. Thank you for that message and really appreciate your time, Dr. Bhuvan. It's been wonderful talking to you. We went quite deep and you highlighted some very, very important aspects of where one can focus to build a better quality of life rather than being that neurotic corporate yeah, absolutely. And thanks for doing this. I think you're doing a good service as well. And I wish your initiative a lot of luck. Thank you for listening to the Empowering Indian Expats podcast with your host Ehsan Ali. Hope you enjoyed and learned few things. I have known Dr. Bhuvan for more than 10 years now and uh, I have always admired his way of living. On the career side, he shared where the world is going and how you can create a fulfilling career. He also shared about importance of constant learning, networking, um, service above self. Uh, let me know what were your key takeaways and uh, feel free to connect with me on LinkedIn. Uh, happy to assist you if you are wanting to work on something new, something different, or at least I can connect you with someone who has already done what you are contemplating.